0: Welcome to this week's play by play of the Hang Time Podcast. Backing down a lefty hook, banks it in. With your host,
1: Elliot Anderson.
0: Stop it down behind his head. Thank Smith. The tipping is good at the buzzer. And Vince stunts. Slices across the lane, puts up a hook, but no! But a dynamite stick back slam! Now it's time
2: for the tip up. Hangtime podcast coming to you live from all parts unknown. Seku Smith from the Hangtime blog at nba.com. Vince Thomas. What up, homie? Partner in crime. Uh listen, quick question. Yo. What do y'all do? What do y'all do to stay warm in Buffalo? Um, cuz I'm in Milwaukee right now, and it's <laughs> Yo, Man, you got it
3: you, you you got it with layers. That's that's what we say in Buffalo. Layers, Yo. baby. Layers. It's the but I it's mean, like that right? It's April, man. It's what what's going on up there?
2: I don't know. Well, forties is what's going on up here. I got on like Are you kidding me? Pair of NBA socks wrapped over that. Uh, <laughs> you got, got a space heater there. Chocolate space heater, the <laughs> triple fat goose. You what?
3: Know, Unbelievable. I mean, I
2: don't, I'm, I'm not going in with Josh Smith. Though. I'm not. I'm not jumping in that boat.
3: Yeah, because uh, that's what I, I was about to go there. I was like, so you agree no, with Josh?
2: No, no, no. What's, with, the,
3: what's with all these? Uh, what's with all these NBA players um, dissing the? Uh, the cities, you know, NBA cities that they go to. I personally, I, I personally think that Milwaukee is a, is a good town if you're looking if you're looking to do what Milwaukee does well, which is eat and drink. And, <laughs> and I don't mind Cleveland either. Cleveland isn't all that bad. I mean, it's not. Both of those cities are not Chicago or Atlanta, but you know, they're not terrible.
2: No, well, I mean, listen, the schedule leaves so much time for idle chatter.
3: It's not Oklahoma City. You know,
2: and you know what these- I'm saying. Listen, these cats got nothing to do but but sit back and take questions from cats like us, and then come up with a clever or what they think is a clever answer. And the next thing you know, you got drama.
3: No, I think so. they I think they really believe that. Yo, I mean um, Noah is from Hell's Kitchen, New York, and then you know he well then he went to a a, a college town for college, but you know now he's in Chicago. I think he really believes. That Cleveland is what he said it what what he said it was and you know Josh is an Atlanta boy you know an Atlanta dude excuse me you know for for his whole life you know I'm, I'm pretty sure he thinks that Well, mid- especially if it's like in the 40s there <laughs> but yo but just speaking of small cities man what is the deal with that Oklahoma City crowd that it has to be the best at it well, at least from the television screen it looks like it's easily <laughs> the best atmosphere in the playoffs right now well it's been the best
2: atmosphere in the league really since. Uh, the Hornets were playing there after uh, Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. You ask anybody that showed up to the Ford Center, mm-hmm. and they tell you it was like being at uh, NCAA tournament game. Yes, very crowd craziness, and mm-hmm. you know I, I appreciate it. I think uh, I saw a, an article the other day where uh, T.J. Simons from the LA Times was talking about. Right now, the Thunder have the best players, mm-hmm. the best coach, the best mm-hmm. crowd, you know, mm-hmm. the best atmosphere, the best everything. Right in that series, mm-hmm. right now they got it going, and mm-hmm. it's. It's, it's from the crowd all the way down to
3: the locker room. So Yeah, I disagree with him on, on, on the, the best, you know, this, that, and the third. <laughs> but I see where he's coming from. I You know, it is interesting that it's such a, a college crowd because, you know, obviously Oklahoma, it, they don't have a professional franchise in the whole state. You know, I think they root for the Cowboys when it comes to football. I don't know who they root for baseball-wise, but, you know, this is the first time they, that they have – They've had an NBA team and really college basketball isn't exceptionally popular there. That's a huge college football state. But, man, they are bringing it in those games, man, to the to the point where, you know, I know the Oracle provide provides you with that kind of energy and also, you know, generations, you know, passed down kind of like NBA knowledge. But, you know. I would have to say that this Oklahoma City crowd is up there with that Oracle crowd back in 2007 just in terms of energy and what it's doing in order to, like, imbue the home team with that necessary motivation for an upset. You know what I mean? Hold Agree? Disagree? Hold on a second. I'm, I'm looking up imbue. Um, Man, no, I, listen. Shout, I, <laughs> shout out to Buffalo Public School System, baby. <laughs> yeah, there you go.
2: <laughs> no, listen. The I've been in countless uh nba arenas for playoff games
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, and there's something about the playoffs you know even here in milwaukee over the weekend game three of that hawks buck series yeah man phenomenal i yeah. mean squad six andrew bogut has like 40 people that he uh he bought season tickets for and they show up and turn the bradley center into a european soccer stadium i mm-hmm. mean mm-hmm. drums horns the whole yeah. nine yards that's that's what the playoffs is about vince it's these arenas should look like that during the playoffs.
3: I mean, Dallas, you know, it was game – it was either game one or game two. But, you know, the the crowd stood for basically about the last eight, 18 minutes of play or at least like 10 of the last 18 minutes of play just standing. You know, and Dallas is one of those franchises that have been around for a long time. They, they've been winning for a long time. But the crowd still treats the team like, you know, something incredible is at stake. Like, for instance, you know – look at the Staples crowd for games one and game two, games one and two. That was basically a crowd that's saying, we don't think that this team that you're playing should even be in the game. We're a little disappointed in the play, so we're not really going to get, you know, really involved in, in this game. And I, But I think that's – Vince, that sta- Vince what's up?
2: stop. The, the crowd stood for 18 straight minutes because they're watching the very best series in the playoffs right now.
3: The, the dallas san antonio series yeah man the yeah. dallas
2: crowd stood up like that because they're being treated to some of the very best basketball you could see when's the last time Absolutely. you saw a two seven with two teams this good i mean you know yeah, two man. quality teams two teams that could win the west on a mm-hmm. you know if things fell right that's that's what they're watching right now the
3: west is crazy right now especially now that brandon roy is back and now that's a series and i mean you know san antonio was up three one but that's a series it. I mean, it could easily go seven games. I can see it going seven games. Every series in the West is a quote-unquote series, and you know, just moving back to the Lakers-Thunder, that's a series. I, I see it going seven. What do you? What, where do you see that? Talk, we talked about this before
2: the playoffs even started. Mm-hmm. This this was setting up to be the best playoff, you know, atmosphere in the Western Conference, based on all eight teams winning fifty games. Mm-hmm. You know, every team that that. Made the Western Conference playoff field was a fifty-win team. When you have that kind of uh, basketball being played throughout the season, you have to know that your postseason
3: is going to be off the charts. But uh, what, what, what specifically with that LA Oklahoma City series, like what, what do you see? I mean, it's it's two-two now. Is it going to yeah, go seven? No, I
2: mean, call me after you know the next game because that's oh, basically. Oh, how you have to
3: look at come things. on. Come on, come on with the call me after the next game. What's your gut right now, man? What do you, what do you, where do you see it going?
2: Listen, I don't like to play my gut. You're the same person that told me last week Darren Williams had never stepped up in the playoffs and blah blah blah. Why are we making it look like a fool? So I mean, I'm not going.
3: Whoa, whoa, whoa! whoa. Why are we making this an argument? Can (laughs) I just, can I just get a prediction from you?
2: No, you can't. Like you, you always. I love the terms of of, uh, our operation. It's like you ask me a question, I have to answer. If I don't. That I, you know, I've committed some crime against basketball. I don't know who's good. I don't know where that series is going. That's why I'm watching every game, man. That's, I, I, again, that's the beauty of these playoffs. It's not like some other scripted, you know, postseason for another sport. These things are up in the air. After the first two games, would you have predicted that the Lakers and Thunder would be tied up at two-two? No, Th- I
3: didn't. that's the not question. At, you know, what I mean, those not at are all. questions. But, I now mean, I, but now that, but now that I see, but now that I see how. Oklahoma has played in these past two games, I you know, I just find, I find it very hard to believe that L.A. is going to come back in game six and and, and close it out. They just don't look like they're ready to do that for, for, for a lot of reasons. I mean, we, we discussed on the playoff uh, preview about Russell Westbrook and the kind of problems that he was going to give the the Laker point guards, which, you know, was obvious from, from from the outset. But what I didn't see was Ibaka coming off the bench and being probably the X factor in the series up to this point. You know, I didn't see Kobe having this much trouble being Kobe. You, and to the point where I, if the Lakers get by this past the, the Thunder – You know, I don't know how much vintage Kobe we're going to get throughout the rest of the playoffs. You know what I mean? I mean, this this Oklahoma City um, team is exposing um, a lot of flaws and a lot of chinks in the Lakers armor. But what we were discussing a little bit earlier before we got on air is I do think that they present very unique challenges to the Lakers that a utah or a denver or you know san antonio or dallas don't present because those teams are nowhere near as young and um and frisky and energetic and and just really kind of buck wild you know like like the thunder the thunder is yeah
2: well i I think another piece to that is every team gets exposed in the playoffs if you're a good road team you know usually that that bodes well for you in the playoffs but if you're a bad road team that gets highlighted in a playoff, you know, in a best of seven series. That's just the way it is. All of your flaws are laid on the table in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, you get examined uh, in a different manner come mm-hmm. playoff time. Mm-hmm. I, you know, we talked about the Lakers being in some hot water before this, and we kind of argue back and forth about it. I think it's, you know, it's, it's obvious everything we thought going into these playoffs has been coming to fruition, uh, good and bad. And, and to me, again, that's the beauty of the playoffs, uh, you know, are we going to be calling Kobe the Black Mamba after these playoffs, or are we going to have to come up with another, you know, non-venomous snake to use as his nickname after this? Who knows? Um, but it, you, you'll find out in the next week, you know, who's for real and who's not. And, and that's the beauty, again, of the NBA playoffs, Vince. I, the, the question to me is, what's in store for the round after this? I hate to skip ahead, but, like, what's in store for beyond what we're seeing right now? Because if it's only going to get better... You know, I need I need uh, I need a couple of Red Bulls and some and a little nap in between rounds to make sure I'm prepared.
3: Well, I mean, the the playoffs have been play It's been playoff basketball. I don't know if I would call this first ten nine, ten days of of the playoffs like epic. You know, so let's I, what get I, you crazy. What I'm watching, what I'm watching is, is playoff basketball. I don't I don't think I mean we don't we don't have a, a Boston Chicago series right now. So I'm hoping that the next I'm hoping that the next round is a little bit better than than this in his first round
2: you're hard you're hard cat to please let's let's hope that listen let's hope that our our first guest uh is not nearly as difficult to please as you are jared wade uh writes the fantastic blog both teams played hard um and let's bring him in vince and see what kind of you know views he has on what he's seen so far in the playoffs jared how you doing man hey i'm doing good man how are you I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm sitting here trying to, uh, you know, wrestle with Vince as always, uh, the world according to Vince it's, it's either his way or no way as you well know. So, <laughs> but what, I mean, has these, has the first round so far been what you thought it would be in terms of competition, um, you know, drama and everything else that goes into it.
1: Oh, totally, man. Yeah. I was just hearing Vince say that. And yeah, it's been fantastic. I think like, what's this about the fourth year in a row? I think we've been talking about these Western playoffs. Like it's going to be epic. It's going to be the best thing ever. Um, cause you know, this is at least the third year in a row, right? That if every team hasn't won 50, they've won, you know, 48. But exactly. I feel like the last couple of years, we haven't quite gotten what we expected. You know, there was that Spurs-Suns series that one year where, you know, Duncan hit that three and it was kind of over after game one. Um, you know, last year we had that, I think was it Dallas, Denver, or whatever it was. There was, you know, some other series that didn't really pay out as much. But this year, I mean, all these Western series are great.
2: Every one of them. I mean, I, I've watched every game I could, you know, I could stay up late enough to watch. And I'm telling you, there hasn't been a disappointing series to me.
1: No, 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 I, wasn't, no. I wasn't expecting, no. you know, the, the the Phoenix-Portland series after they lost everyone to be anything. And that series is fantastic, which, especially with Brandon coming back, you know, Willis Reed and all
0: that. <laughs>
3: yeah. Um, Jared, let, let's talk about your blog for a second. You know, I um, I think that this is a really, really, really interesting blog for the content, obviously, um, but for a lot of the projects that you do for our listeners who haven't visited um, both teams, played hard, um, .net, Uh Jared has all these different projects, like the the lyric project where he tries to document all the. Well, you, you explain your, your, your projects to, to, to the listeners, Jared.
1: Oh, well, yeah, you know, it's just one of those things to kind of differentiate a little bit and do something that, you know, I try to make my blog my interests, you know, and I'm a big hip-hop head, so um, I always, probably to a fault, you know, I like a hip-hop song more if it has an NBA lyric in it, mm-hmm. you know, if, you know, Big L uh, from New York but never was a fan of the Knicks, that type of stuff, you know. No, uh, shame, no that. <laughs> and I don't like the Knicks either, so that's, that's one of my favorites. But, um, yeah, so I was just trying to um, start, I think I did a post at one point cataloging, like, a bunch of my favorite NBA lyrics. And then I was like, you know what? Just just off the top of my head, I could probably name 40. And then I got them all down, you know, did a little internet searching and, you know, kind of cataloged all the ones I could think of and then kind of opened it up to the comments and was like, hey, everyone else, you know, help me out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I probably got a couple hundred lyrics written down there now. And then you, um, got,
3: you, got, some, you got some other projects, too, like, you know, just give the listeners a little, you know, brief synopsis yeah, of the other ones. Yeah,
1: same thing with nicknames. I, I love nicknames, like... um I'm a Pacers fan. Growing up, one of the main reasons I became one was because of Chuck Person, the rifleman. I thought that was when I was eight years old. That was the coolest thing I'd ever heard. <laughs> right? you became,
3: hold on. Wait, 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 you became a Pacers fan because of Chuck Person?
1: Sort of. Yeah. I grew up in Maine, so I should be a Celtics fan. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, Chuck Person came into the garden one night. And I don't know. I'm just kind of a contrarian by nature, I guess. Okay. So they were almost too good when I was young. You know, I'm like 29, so it was like the heyday of Bird when I was like, you know, six seven. Mm-hmm. But Chuck Person came into the garden one night, hit seven threes, started yelling in Bird's face. You know, he, yeah. I'd never seen anyone go a Bird like that. So. Was that the
3: playoff game? Yeah, that's you're talking was, about. Yeah, because
1: they they played each other in round one like three years. And this was the Pacers were bad. I think they yeah. won maybe one game in three or four years. You know.
3: So let me, and uh, your, your second favorite player was was who? Vern Fleming. That's your second favorite player <laughs> of all time <laughs> right in the world. Chuck Person. <laughs> and then you got you got like a commercial project, which I think is dope. you just oh, started doing these, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you know, I love the NBA commercials too, right? So I just cataloged a bunch of those, and they're on there. And you know, I did the NBA logos. I kind of ranked those from thirty to one. I was, I did that last summer when I was bored because there's nothing to write about in the summer. So,
3: <laughs> God, where, where the where, where the um, where the puppets at, guys? Say cool, Jared, Where the puppets at? The the the, the Kobe, LeBron puppets. We haven't seen them in the playoffs yet. Is, are they are they done? I hope so. I don't know,
1: man. I was never a big fan of that. Yeah. They got to get God. to the this next one. Round. Okay. I
2: mean, you know, the the LeBron puppet might make it right now. the The Kobe puppet is he's on ice. Man, oh we got to we got to see if he gets it. Jerry, let me ask you about just you know the nicknames. I'm, I can't stop reading the nickname project. I can I go in there every day just to see what you know. What, what am I going to clown about this day? I mean, what's your favorite one out of all of the ones you got listed? Uh,
1: I've always liked the Plastic Man. He was my dude. Stacey Augman, because before yeah, no. I was a Pacers fan, I was kind of jumping around. I was a Barkley fan. I was a, I was a Dominique fan. So I was, and then, you know, Stacey Osman showed up, and I loved him. Um, what else? The Rifleman, obviously. Um, Cornbread. Cornbread <laughs> Maxwell. That, that guy, I was too young for him, really, but that nickname is sweet.
3: My, my favorite nickname of all time is Magic. How, how how uh oh, that's how easy is that right yeah, I know
0: that's
3: tough. <laughs> well I mean, well who's what's your favorite nickname of all time say cool since you since you want to you want to clown me on my magic what's yours
2: I, I, listen I'm partial to to the home team as always uh, Anthony Miller is from Benton Harbor Michigan which is down the road from my hometown of Grand Rapids pig Come on,
3: man. Dude, <laughs> a dude named
2: Pig, then and then you look at him, and he embodies his own nickname. That's you know you can't go you can't get any better than that.
3: Now oh, now hold, now I'm, I'm I'm scrolling down these nicknames, Jared, and I see that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's nickname was Murdoch.
1: Oh, I, <laughs> some of them are stupid. I think that was just his name <laughs> in airplane.
3: <laughs> oh, okay. Because I'm, 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 I never never heard Kareem called yeah, that no. by, uh, by Tommy Heinsohn. Yeah, you now speaking um the lyric project, which I think is, 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 is great, there's no lyric on there for uh coming from Guru of Gangstar. And we, we mention I mentioned this to you in, on Twitter. Now for for all our listeners that maybe were born, you know, after nineteen eighty five or so, Guru is the M C from the uh, duo Gangstar and he just died, you know, last week. Um he was a, a, a Inter- integral part of, of, of hip hop. He's, you know, great MC, but maybe not the most skilled and talented MC. But I think we can all agree that he benefited from being the MC along with one of the great producers of all time, maybe, you know, two or three best of all time in DJ Premier. And I was wondering if there was a parallel to a player in these playoffs. And I know I have a guy in mind, Jared, but you like to do this kind of stuff. I wondered if you could pinpoint maybe a player that you would say is the NBA playoff, 2010 playoff version of Guru, and for what reasons?
1: Um, I was thinking about it. Yeah, I was thinking maybe, and it might be more of a career thing than just in these playoffs so far. Right. Although mm-hmm. he, he was big the other day. With, I was thinking Paul Pierce. Okay. Because, like you say, I love Guru, Gangstar. might be my favorite group. But for me, you know, even though, you know, late, great, um, it was more primo than anything uh, that kind of uh-huh. drove Gangstar. And Guru is great. He's just fantastic. I just happen to be a guy that, like, you know, I like the big Ls. I like the lyricists. Like, uh-huh. you know, something like Eminem and, you know, JZ and Biggie and these guys who are just making you hit the rewind button. Like, whoa, I can't believe he just said that type uh-huh. of guy. And Guru is great, and he has great messages. And he can write really really well too but he just wasn't wasn't quite on that level mm-hmm. but his greatness is undisputed and that's why i kind of think paul pierce he's a little bit like that like i don't think i'm going to be talking about him as one of the first guys i i bring up to my kids or something in in 30 years mm-hmm. but i mean he just gets it done he just has you know he, hasn't, he doesn't have good hops mm-hmm. he doesn't have you know great speed he you know he's great to me he self-proclaimed one of the best shooters of all time, but I don't think that's true. <laughs> so he doesn't have any one thing that stands out as being just above and beyond everyone. Yeah. But how many more people do you want at, with, with the ball in their hands at the end of the game? True,
3: true. Maybe
1: three or four in the whole league. Mm-hmm,
3: right. Mm-hmm. You, know who I th- you, know, you know who's my, you know, and I, I, I went at it, you know, the, the career uh, route as well. I'm going with Sean Mary- Marion and, and for this reason. Sean Marion, as an individual basketball player, uh, has his – good attributes I mean he's he's he especially when he was young he was a pogo stick you know he hits the boards incredibly high he's a great defender you know a great finisher but a lot of his and you guys may disagree with this and, and that's cool I think that a lot of his um, accolades came from or were the result of him basically for his whole career playing with top-notch point guards. whether or not it was Jason Kidd then Marbury and then of course Steve Nash <laughs> You know, and then he spent a year in No Man's Land in Miami. Now he's back with uh, with, with Jason Kidd. And I think it made him look perhaps, um, I think it made him look better than what he really was as an individual. And I think that's what we can say about Guru. I mean, Guru, uh, he loved hip hop. He was true to hip hop. You know, he was an MC. You know, I think he, he studied his craft. But you take Guru away from those all-time great beats that primo was laying down and we're talking about a different guy that we don't hold in the same esteem and i and and i think that i think mary marion is probably the best parallel for for me when it comes to the guru thing
2: i you know i don't i don't know jared i'm i mean i think pierce is a good choice uh and and i certainly see marion but i'm i'm inching towards somebody else man i'm and i love the nickname irk you know no d and dirk nowitzki (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, to me, you talk about a guy who's always benefited from, you know, the the hyped-up image and, and you know, play. He, you know, don't forget now, he played some of his best, very best years came with Steve Nash, you know, rowing the boat. Not and true. Michael Finley rowing that boat in Dallas. Now, Not true. Not granted, true. he's had some great years since then. Whew, I don't know how you leave Irk Nowitzki off the list.
3: Uh, well, I mean, because Dirk Nowitzki... On, his, and I, I don't know what you think about this, Jared, but I think that Dirk Nowitzki, as an individual, still has some transcendent talent. I mean, like you said, his—I think I believe Dirk played his best basketball the the couple years right after um, Steve Nash left, and I and, and that's in it, like for instance, you know, Guru Jasmatas versus Guru Gangstar—that's a big drop off, man. Well. Dirk didn't really. Dirk hasn't really dropped off since he, you know, since Steve Nash went away. I mean, who is who was his point guard after that? We're talking um, uh, Devin Harris, you know, Jason Terry, who's really not a point guard. I mean, I, I always think that Dirk gets a bad rap. I, I wonder what you think about that, Jared. I think what? Dirk is a lot. I think Dirk is a lot better and has done a lot more and has not submarine nearly as much as everybody wants to wants to say that he has.
1: No, I think Dirk's great. I think yeah. Um to call him kind of someone who needs anyone else beside him to help him out. Yeah, I think he's one of the best players in the league, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, not, I'm in love, love with that comparison, I don't think. Come on, man. Dirk,
2: listen, Dirk Dirk was getting the boat rolled by Finley and Nash for the first few years. They left. They get to the finals. Did y'all, did y'all forget what the, the meltdown that went down in the uh,
3: finals against Miami? Yeah,
1: but yeah, – Everyone says that. I don't see it as a meltdown as much as I saw it as Dwayne Wade just taking over the planet and obviously
3: there was some rap. <laughs> no, and 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 to, and to your point Jared, I think that, you know, there there are the last, you know, four games against Miami where in a couple of those games Dirk was terrible in 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 the other two he was good, not great, while wow, Dwayne Wade was great, transcendent. And then of course there was the um playoff series against Golden State which will always, you know, be a blemish on his career resume, but I mean, th- throughout the rest of um, his playoff career and especially his regular season career, Dirk has been the anchor and has been the franchise to ch- come on. We know what Steve it so we're
2: going to th- ignore this year's,
3: no. The three one deficit stand
2: now and getting ready to get bounced out of the playoffs for the, what, the third time in four no, years. It, does,
3: it doesn't have to be so extreme though. Say like we don't have to what? ignore we don't have to ignore that. But what I'm saying is that we don't have to take we don't have to take those instances and then completely ignore what has what has been the the bulk of his career in terms of performances, which were great.
1: And you also just by the way we're talking about Dirk, I'm not sure if he's the best uh comparison for guru because Guru not this polarizing, you know. I don't think I, everyone just Guru is just consistent and and steady, but unspectacular.
3: Like Marion, well, Dirk like Marion. Although
1: th- that kind of hurts me, I think Marion's a little low as far as like quality. He's almost like a CL Smooth maybe.
3: Man, well, <laughs> yo, well, ho, oh, CL Smooth, CL Smooth could rhyme, man. Yeah, but he was, I don't know. Guru's better than him, though, right? I wouldn't, uh, not as Pump an MC. Breaks, Jared. Pump, nah. Pump breaks, not not as an MC. I wouldn't say Come that, on, man. Now. CL CL Smooth got down, like like seriously got down. Like he went in. CL Smooth in in the in the first half of the '90s could could roll on the mic with anyone. You put that mic in front of Guru, and and it was like, oh, hold on, take the mic from Rue. And we shouldn't be talking about him like this, man, at this I'm at not. this time. But you know, I Y'all mean like terrible. Yeah, yeah, okay. But but nah, man, like CL Smooth, come on, straighten it out. Come on, reminisce. I mean the... guru, guru kick knowledge because he was a smart brother, he was a you know, a very educated brother, um, was very was, you know, a socially aware dude. But the 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 text you know, and and just the 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 rhyming part of of being an MC. Sorry, he couldn't he couldn't take it there. So, and that and that's what oh, I'm saying on. about Marion. I mean, Marion he he he's on, very Vince. specific and specialized. Y'all come on, y'all got to go with me on Marion. I, no, we don't.
2: I, and I'm serious. <laughs> I cannot. Are we talking? If we're talking legacies, yeah. I cannot understand how we are propping Dirk up like this when when the giant is Dirk know, smolder, smoldering blemish on his resume. If he never wins a championship, it's going to be all
3: of these. You know, is Dirk a first ballot you know, Hall of Famer? Say, yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, Okay, no question. But I mean, okay. let's let's be honest now. Dirk is is you're putting him in there based on a lot of different things. One of them being the novelty of Dirk being a seven foot German and being the you know one of the very first international players to come into the league, the first international player to win an MVP award, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, he's getting a lot on on top of that. But if you really look at it. We judge players in this league a lot of times based on what did you do at the
3: biggest moments. And Dirk has, you know, if I'm looking at it, he's never been that guy on that big stage to to carry his team. Jared, you know, Jared, you know why Dirk is the first Battle Hall of Famer for me? Because he has over 20,000 points. He's doing about 23 and nine um, rebounds for his career in the playoffs. He's doing um, about uh what what 20 27 excuse me 26 and 11 um because he's gotten to the conference finals i believe tw- once into the finals another time to the semifinals uh four or five times i mean it has nothing to do with if dirk was you know um, a regular caucasian from you know portland he'd be a first ballot hall of famer if he was you know uh if he went to school with you in grand rapids you know uh yeah but i'm not talking about first ballot hall of famer that's
2: that's that's not the point i'm making i'm just saying the the novelty of who he is you can say he could be these other things he's not the fact is he's a you know he's the he's a seven foot german who came over here and you know on draft night everybody talked about you know what what were the nelson's doing you know, trading for this kid who was an unknown, and then he's blossomed into an absolute superstar. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not throwing Dirk's career down the drain and saying he didn't get it done, but I'm saying if we're talking about a guy who was propped up and a guy who is, you know, living more on uh, the the hype machine than he is the actual results, Dirk has to be in that conversation what? because his teams have not burst. He's not broken through. Jared, what do but you he's think?
1: Also, I would say he's never, you know, we, we talk about LeBron, and, you know, he's never won yet, right, either. And yeah, Aldridge, but i mean, better than Dirk. But I'm just saying he's never Dirk's never had that second guy really either. I mean, you could say Nash, but he had Nash before Nash was this Nash, and he's getting <laughs> Jay Kidd late. He had Finley, but I mean, you know, it's not like Finley was. I mean, maybe borderline all star, but he he's never had that Scottie Pippen. You know what I mean? At the same time, so. What'd you
3: think about his performance uh, um, yesterday? Uh, you know, in in that that second half where he kind of disappears. Yeah, I'm asking Jarrett.
1: I actually missed that game. Sorry. Okay.
3: Yeah, I mean that—that that was. Well, well say, you didn't miss much because yeah. Dirk didn't do much down the stretch. So
2: you—it's not like you missed any action, Jared. Um, <laughs> but listen, I, we are—that's what we do around here. We argue about things like this. Uh, you know, Vince and I have been arguing for three weeks about Tracy McGrady, uh, and and that—that's an argument that will probably carry on the rest of uh, McGrady's career, which may not last, but, you know, much longer. So, but listen, Jared. The, the blog is crazy. We love it. Uh, both teams yeah, played hard. Dot net, mm-hmm. man. You got to, you got to keep this going because, you know, we need to have some more discussions about some of these nicknames. Uh, the commercial project, the logo ranking project, the lyric project, all of
3: it, man. Say, we bye.
1: appreciate you coming on with us. Absolutely, hey man, thanks for having me, guys. I love the show and I keep it up.
3: No doubt, Jared, man, always. Take care, guys. Now, Vince,
2: <laughs> you uh, once again, you have drawn my ire. Uh, you know. <laughs> You do you, you have a way of doing this, you know, every week, and uh, I'm se- I'm serious. I'm I cannot believe you, you know. I cannot believe, believe. believe. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I'm stunned here.
3: Whoa, what's going you what are you this, so stunned about, homie? Because
2: you're normally you're normally the cat who would be all over Dirk for not delivering in the crunch. Yeah, you know, you would. That's normally one of your biggest sticking points.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And now you're telling me to forget about it because Dirk got great numbers. You know, blah, blah, blah. I don't I don't get
3: no, that. No, you know what I want people to do? I don't want them to forget about it. I just want for people to put it in perspective. Because I think that, like, every time people get on Dirk, I don't know too many Dirk fans. Like, I really don't. Like, you know, uh, Jared said that Dirk was polarizing. I think really everyone is at one end in terms of just being negative with him when it comes to his career in general. And they, they go to the 2007 first round and the last four games of the Miami finals. And I understand that. And that's why Dirk is not as great as the greatest, but Dirk is still great. And he's still a first ballot hall of famer. So at, you know, at the end of the day, at some point we, we have to start speaking of him On those terms, he's one of the most maligned and denigrated, sure first ballot Hall of Famers that I can think of, you know, over the last 20 years, you know? I mean, well, I mean,
2: listen, when you say first ballot Hall of Famer, let's. I mean, if you go back and look at who got in on that first ballot and who didn't, there's a lot of guys that would, I argue that there would be some people that would disagree with you on the first first ballot thing, minus any kind of hardware uh, in terms of a championship. I mean, it is not... A lot of guys with big numbers that have scored twenty thousand points and have done a lot of stuff without, without championships, without the hardware to back it up, had a you know they didn't get in there on that first, but they didn't just slide into the Hall of Fame. And and there's no question he's a Hall of Famer, but I'm saying you don't think going to
3: be a first ballot Hall of Famer.
2: Yes, I do. I'm saying, but without uh-huh. that, without that golden ticket, which is that championship. Yeah, I don't, I think Dirk looks a lot different to us twenty years from now. You know, and obviously he'll be in the Hall of Fame before that, but 20 mm-hmm. years from now, his legacy will be a lot different without that championship.
3: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I don't. Yeah. Okay. And I, like that's, say, I, uh, I mean, wanna, that, that's. I don't want to go in on
2: Dirk because I, I I love Dirk, and I mean, I don't want to. I, I hate that we get in these things like where I end up. You you end up championing somebody, and I end up hating on them for no reason just yeah. to get at you. No, I, it's I like, feel you. you know, I don't want to crazy, but
3: I, I feel you. But I, we we can say that about a lot of. I, I, sure. Who I think are sure ballot Hall of Famers like Steve Nash. Um, th- th- not everybody wins a championship, you know. So right. Right. It, no it, it, you, Dwight How you know, Dwight Howard. If he keeps on going the way he's going, he might not win a championship. But I, th- I think that if, if his career basically continues on th- this path, he, he, he's going to be a, a first ballot Hall of Famer. I think that first ballot Hall of Famer to me doesn't mean that you are in the the very elite group of great players. There are great players, and then there are the greatest of the great players, and and Dirk is not there, but I, I just... I bring I bring everything up because I again I just think that people are too harsh on the guy. I just read you his numbers. I mean, the guy averages twenty six and eleven for the playoffs. I, I mean, know, those, but you read, those are you huge read me numbers. All the time, those are huge it's like... numbers, man. what not 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 just for the the first round. I mean, he the his Dallas teams have advanced in in the in the playoffs. Not everybody wins a championship over the past twenty years. Say. Who's won championships? The Bulls, the Lakers, the Spurs, right. and you but know you what I mean?
2: You, we can't have it both ways. Like, we can't have it be where Dirk didn't have any help. But then, if he's if he's so great and he's getting to the point and then not delivering, how do you know? How do you weigh that? Is my question. Well, I, I think how do you weigh th- this much. Dirk deserves credit for, but this much is not his. You know, you, but this not his fault on this. And it's like when he gets, and it's not just Dirk. It's every player. It's every right. great player that you have to weigh that debate about. And I, you know, and I don't even think it's. I don't, I don't even know why we would compare he and LeBron because Dirk took a good four four and a half five seasons before he became the elite player that he is. LeBron hit the ground running, so I don't. I mean. Yeah keep the keep those comparisons out of people's
3: minds that's know, not e- that's not even right i don't i don't i don't think that's a fair comparison and you know you you have a you have a situation right now if if we're going to you know take a contemporary if we're going to take a contemporary angle as Jermaine to the playoffs i mean dirk it, did not perform last night uh, and that, that is a reason why perhaps the not perhaps that's that's a, a major reason why Dallas did not win that game and, and, and you know, send it back to Dallas tied up. And now they're really up against the wall. And you, I don't I don't know if he has a penchant for, for those kind of performances, but you I guess you see those more than you do with the greatest of the great. Which is why I, I don't think that Dallas can come back from, from this 3-1 deficit. And on the other hand, did you see um, Duncan, and I believe that was game two, where he just – and we all know Duncan's in the twilight of his career. He just took over in that fourth quarter. I think he scored like eight points in a row. And, he, you know, he's still doing it. Still doing
2: it. And really in that series, in this, you know, all of these series have some, some beautiful wrinkles to them. Really in that series, the guy that's taken over the the whole thing – Yeah. It's George Hill, you know, uh, a Spurs? You know, a Spurs Tony Parker's backup, basically. What do you has become? You know, has become the guy that's turning this series in the Spurs' favor. He was the player of the game last night. Not that you would yeah. would know his name or uh, have known it if you didn't watch it, but he was the guy who took the game over. I thought. last night. But what night. do you mean by taking over the series, though? I, I, he, he, I mean, he, I'm he... saying his performance by far, has been what's turned the series in the favor of the Spurs. And I, and it's like this all the time. You know, you look at the top two or three players on each team. Then you go down the roster and pick out that one dude who's going to do stuff that he wasn't doing all year or that he's not expected to do. His performance, his contribution, turns the series well, in one way or the other.
3: Well, okay, for y- yesterday, um, absolutely. But, I mean, you know, in that, in, in game two... Um, he had seven points. Sure, know? he did. But I'm saying in game one, he you know he was over. I mean, so I don't, I wouldn't call him. But that... last
2: night is a chance. To last night is a chance for Dallas to get things back in order. George Hill delivers, is what I'm saying. You know, it's not always going to be about the very the you know the the marquee players. It's not always going to be Dirk Show. So I again, I bring up bring it up again. That whole idea of how do you debate you know what Dirk deserves credit for and what he takes blame for. You know, it's 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 a tough tough thing to do when you're looking at these series night in and night out and trying to decide, you know, who who gets the credit, who gets the blame. Gotcha. So, uh, you know, and and we could go on and on about it. Um, but I, I, I'm tired of hearing you talk, and I'm certainly tired of hearing myself talk. Let's let's see if we can't uh, bring in an expert in these in these situations. Mike Fratello, uh, the, the CFT analyst, the coach. You know. The guy with the the intricate knowledge of how these things go, uh, Coach Fertello, how you
0: doing? Thanks for joining us. I am doing great. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. How you doing, Zara? It's Vince Thomas. I am doing terrific out here in, in lovely Phoenix with the sun out and the temperatures rising, and we have a heated series right now going on here, two-two going into tonight's game.
2: Well, yeah, what? it's awesome stuff. I mean, and you know. When we are going, we're debating back and forth just about where the the onus lies in these playoff series. Having been in, you know, knee deep in them, neck deep in them in your career, how much of the the pressure in the responsibility series falls on players and coaches? Like where do, where does the where's the biggest amount of pressure?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, those are kind of separate questions. One one is where's the greatest amount of pressure. The other was where does the greatest responsibility lie? So let me take it back to the Okay, before the playoffs, okay, uh, when people are saying it's a player's league. All right, well, if it's a player's league, then I guess that means the is on the players. Right. Yet, when you get here and you go through the preparation and the execution and the game adjustments and substitutions and timeouts and drawing up winning plays, I guess, are they saying now it's more on the coach? I'm kind of answering your question with questions. You can't have both. You can't be a players' league on one side and not a players' league on the other side.
3: Well, tell me, let me ask you this then, um, coach. Take a, a series like Denver, um, Utah, where the head coach is, is out, you know, for, George Kyle is out for, you know, unfortunate reasons. And you have um, a, a first time, basically a first time coach, Adrian Dantley. Taking over the reins. What is Denver missing without having the, the head guy there for this series?
0: Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. Really, is that you bring that question up? It's a great question, and it's a great point because I just, I'm telling you, within the last half hour, I just was on a phone call with someone discussing this. And uh, first of all, I have the ultimate respect for Adrian Dantley. I followed him from when he was a high school player at Dematha High School. Thought he was the greatest high school player uh, in the country when I saw him that year, and then went on to you know the illustrious career that he's had. But he's never been a head coach before, and he's he's thrust into a most difficult situation because you have a team, the chemistry on that team it's an unusual bunch. You have some unique personalities there, mm-hmm. you have some volatile personalities there. Yet when George was coaching, okay, he managed to keep it under control. He had him in a direction, a focus, and it was just two months ago, three months ago, people were saying, this Denver team can beat the Lakers this year in the Western Conference. Mm -hmm. Now all of a sudden, you see the effect of what happens when a head coach who has the respect of his team, et cetera, is not there all of a sudden, and it's tough for that assistant to become the personality of a George Carl or whoever else the guy might have been that's in that particular spot. I think what you're seeing is just how important coaching is okay, in the NBA and how important it is to the success of a franchise because I'm looking at their team and I'm wondering if in their heads the Denver players are, feel that they've lost their leader, that the guy who would yank a guy back in, the guy that would in the locker room say to somebody, hey, you're not doing your job, you know, because – Adrian's going to handle it the way Adrian believes it should be handled. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the way George would have done it. And Adrian can't be George. He's not George. He's his own person. He has a different personality. So it's very difficult, okay, to get inside the guy's heads and, and understand what are they thinking right now. But the, when they lost George and knew he wasn't going to be coaching them, did they, in fact, kind of give up mentally on the fact that we, we can't reach our ultimate goal or we can't reach ultimately you know what we are able to with the abilities that this group has because we don't have the guy that has put us through training camp has put us through 70 games during the regular season etc cetera, etc cetera, because he's not there right now did they lose their belief and that's such an important thing that belief okay that yeah, we can do it. We can get it done.
3: You think they did, Coach? I, w- I would find it hard to believe that a team with you know Chauncey Billups and and, and Carmelo w- would have would have lost, you know, that amount of confidence.
0: I, I, I'm asking. I threw it out. I didn't say mm-hmm. they did. I'm saying I wonder <laughs> if that's what they're thinking.
3: Yeah, you I, know, I, I,
0: I, I don't know that. Well,
2: yeah. Well, Coach, and, and another part of that equation that I that has always intrigued me is. How important is it to have a player on your roster that is a true extension of the coach? I know you had Doc Rivers as your point guard for those years, you know, for a long time in Atlanta and he's gone on to be a fabulous coach that, I, and I've, I've read some things where you said you had, a, you knew even then maybe that he had a chance to do that, but how important is it to have that one player that's a true extension of you and your philosophy and how you want things done?
0: It may be, you know, outside of talent, okay, of the talent that your players have, it may be the single most important thing for a coach to have that guy that the other players on the team respect, listen to, that is in your corner and buys in. I mean, just let's go around the league, you know, Phil and Kobe, okay, Tim Duncan and Popovich, mm-hmm. you know, Doc with Garnett, you know, it. You know, whether it's Pierce or Garnett buying in there, we can go right down a list of the teams that are successful. That guy who's and and obviously, it's the best when it's right. your best player, mm-hmm. LeBron. Okay, Mike Brown. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, how many how many guys would have the confidence that Mike Brown has that they would turn over the clipboard to their assistant coaches? to draw up plays at key times or make adjustments at key times. There are not too many coaches that, that have that kind of belief and trust. Well, Mike Brown has that. He believes in his staff, but more importantly, his relationship with LeBron okay, and LeBron's trust in all of that allows Mike to do that. If, if LeBron wasn't comfortable with that, Mike couldn't handle it that way. Mike would have to handle it differently.
3: So, so you look you look at that coach more uh, as a, a positive because some people try to take that you know the, you see a, a timeout and Mike Brown is standing with his hands in his pockets and somebody else is drawing up a play they use that as a, as a reason to diminish or dismiss um, Mike Brown's coaching bona bonafides but you're saying no we should look at it in a different way no
0: I think you should look at it the opposite way that mm-hmm. that shows you how much trust all of all of them meaning his staff, his players, his front office, how much trust they have in him that what he's doing is is the right way to handle it, that he's handling it right. When he needs to step in and take the clipboard, he steps in and takes the clipboard. Otherwise, we've all heard of micromanaging in different companies. Okay, well, a lot of coaches are the same way. They don't let their assistants do anything. Mm -hmm. When practice comes, the coach runs the whole practice. He plans the whole practice by himself. He does the offense. He does the defense. He And his assistant coaches, he tells, okay, you you go over there and do this, you do that. So that's all that, you know. But other guys trust their assistants. I was blessed. I worked for a guy, Hubie Brown, who brought me into the NBA, who allowed me to be part of the practice more than just standing over on the side. So that allowed me to start to get my feet wet and understand and and deal with situations and learn by, you know, I I ran that drill today, I did this, and I didn't do a good job with that. Next time I do that drill, I... There's too many people standing around. i got to get more people involved at the same time. Whatever it is that you learn from it, you know, that helps you grow. and helps you. Guys who are never put in that position don't get that experience. It's hard for them to develop that same kind of confidence that someone else may have who's been a very, very integral part of where the exposure came from. So Mike Brown has such great trust and belief in his guys, and I hope those people that are looking at Mike with his hands in his pocket are thinking, don't think he's not involved in every right. every particular aspect of that program, but maybe it's all done ahead of time
3: what so so what happened with with you coach, when it came to the broadcast career and you didn't want anybody to get on the telestrator and you became known <laughs> as desire the telestrator? you well, turned that, dictator on us man
0: that did, did I get selfish? Is that what happened? Yeah, what happened? <laughs> don't, don't play with my toy I'm taking it and going home.
3: Okay? <laughs> Coach, I want to ask you a question, you know, flip, flip, flipping, um, you know, switching gears a, a little bit. You know, Seiko and I were just having a conversation about uh, Dirk Nowitzki and, you know, sort of tr- wondering how history what, is going to remember him. Um, and I, I wonder, from your perspective, you coached Dominique for, you know, what, uh, seven years. Seven years, I it. Um does history remember him properly, or does he not get the uh, the, the amount of credit and prestige that, that you feel he deserves? For instance, for people that look at him as just a score.
0: Yeah, I, I think too much of that um, was what Neek had to deal with as his career went on, and, uh, you know, they they say that, Part of your judgment day comes with how many championships you win in the NBA, and if you're not part of an NBA championship, you know, do you really understand? So uh, let's look at guys like Patrick Ewing. Look at guys like Charles Barkley. Uh, let's take a Dominique. Um, they didn't have the opportunity to win an NBA championship. And does that mean they weren't the great players that those who were really close to them understood that they were all about? Um, I guess when you talk about championship rings being part of the determining factor, they've all got to live with the fact that, you know, Carl Malone, John Stockton, they didn't win championships. They don't have the ring. But that doesn't mean that they are not Hall of Fame players or, you know, that caliber player. They just sometimes it's who you match up against. You know, you run into Chicago during that stretch of Michael being there, it was tough to win championships. Uh, when Shaq and Kobe were in LA, tough to win championships. When Boston had it rolling, tough to win championships. So sometimes it's who you match up against each year while you have that opportunity, while that window is open and your your surrounding cast of characters is actually good enough, you wind up running into the wrong people. I'll give you an example right now. I think San Antonio and Dallas, both of those teams, are better than a couple of the other teams that are in the Western Conference playoffs right now. Mm -hmm. Except, unfortunately... One of those two is going to get knocked out, okay, uh, in the first round. When in fact they're better than one or two of the other teams that are still, you know, playing. If you follow what I'm saying, if the matchups had turned up differently, both of those teams would be moving on to the next round. Now maybe they meet in the second round, but the way it wound up in the first round, it's unfortunate for one of those two teams because they're not going to be around for the second round.
2: But co- well, coach, we we talked, Vince and I have talked so much about the fact that. Players now will will have to be remembered 10, 15, 20 years from now. And how do you gauge, you know, at the time, the contemporary time, how do you gauge what a guy's legacy will be later if he doesn't have that ring? You know, to me it's it's one of the toughest things to do is to appreciate a guy as the years go on.
0: I agree, and uh, it's a tough answer right there. Is it it all based solely on stats? Is it based on how many... All NBA teams he makes is based on how many scoring championships the guy has, how many rebounding titles he has. If down the road, what would Dwight Howard's legacy be if he never won an NBA championship? Would he still be one of the greatest defensive players, one of the best rebounders, one of the best shop blockers, one of the best centers if he doesn't have a set? And he's so young how do we know that? Looking down the road, like you said, it's very difficult,
3: Coach. Like Whitney, like is there is there something about his his game that the observers, especially as the years have gone on, that we've forgotten? I mean, we know he was a prolific scorer, but you know, was he you know a leader and was he a, a driving force and somebody that the team sort of coalesced around d- during the season? Like, give us give us something about him. You know, probably the greatest player that you coach that. We that history is is forgetting.
0: Well, the things that always jumped out at me about Nick were I always said if there was a basketball game 365 days a year, if the NBA could schedule, Nick would love that. He'd he'd love to play 365 days a year because he loved it that much. I, I I thought that he was a guy who, for his don't take this the wrong way, wiry type of build. Like, Neek wasn't thick, if you know what I mean, as far as, Mm -hmm. you know, but very muscular, Mm -hmm. okay? He was powerful, and I don't know if people understood that. Like, when he dunked, they were powerful dunks. You know, Mm -hmm. his great ability to jump was one thing, but then his ability to finish with these guys hanging all over him, trying to kill him as he was dunking the ball. And I have a picture I always saved of, Neek going to the basket against Detroit with Mahorn and Lambeer, and Neek is going to dunk it. And back then, as you know, <laughs> you got away with a little bit more back then than you get away with nowadays. Yeah. But one of them hit Neek up high, and the other one, like, down low, and he's, like, laying parallel up in the air with both of these guys, like, wiping him out. <laughs> and yeah. I always, you know, I always saved that picture, and I always would put it in my team books to understand what the playoffs are about, okay? Mm-hmm. And you talk about not giving up easy, you know, easy layups, et cetera, et cetera. This is how it used to be, guys. And, and Neek's picture was the one. But he played with a force, with a power. And the other thing about him, I don't know if I ever remember him turning someone down for an interview or a photo. As much as he could do, as long as he could hang there and do it, he would do it. Bus had to leave eventually. He'd have to walk away. Couldn't, you know, may not be able to sign a thousand of them. But he would do as much as he could do in the time allotted to stop, you know, say hello to people, take a picture, sign an autograph. That was just part of him, and I, I thought it was a great thing about him.
2: Well, coach, we listen. Uh, we appreciate you so much coming on. We know how busy you are uh, covering that, that great game tonight, uh, Phoenix yeah. and Portland. Uh, you know, fantastic series. We look forward to seeing you down the road in the playoffs. Hopefully, you come on again with us and maybe get you in the studio and yeah. you let us play with the telestrator a little bit. Who yeah, knows? let us get on that telestrator,
0: Coach. Here's, here's what I'll do: I'll let you guys come on, but you can only draw straight lines. You can't play with you can't play with the boats and whistles and, and all that stuff like the special. can no special effects for you two, okay? All
3: right, <laughs> yeah, all right. I appreciate I, it. I definitely will roll with that one, Coach. All right, <laughs> thanks thank, a lot, Coach.
0: Thank you, guys. Appreciate
3: it. Take care. All right.
2: Well, Vince, Desire, uh,
3: baby. I mean, is that
2: is that knowledge or
3: is that knowledge? Yeah, man. I, you know, no. I the the my favorite. You know, um, they call them color guys. You know, the the guys besides play by play, typically are the coaches. You know, I I love. Obviously, Hubie is probably my favorite, but Doug Collins is you know exceptional. Desire is exceptional. Jeff Van Gundy over on the other network is you know is really good. I mean, they they just have such a a wealth of knowledge. I want to I want to ask you something. though, say, yeah. um, Coach touched on the. The way the playoffs used to be and the way no, they yeah. are now in terms of different the physicality yeah, are, are you are you are you one of those are you one of the, the fans that in, in writers that sort of look back longingly at that ultra physical game or are you one of the smart sane people that can put it in perspective and wow. say you what know a what question you know
2: what? Am I a Neanderthal or, yeah. am, or am I one of the smart? What,
3: what, new age people come on? Exactly. Man. What group do you fall into? But not uh, in, in in honesty. Like, what? How, how, where are you at on that?
2: Well, you mu- you must get tired of hearing yourself yap about these things. Seriously, you got to be tired of hearing it. But I, there's a a line that I think you can go up to with physicality in the playoffs, and I think you saw a lot of that in the Dallas uh, San Antonio game last night. You go up to the line, good hard foul, you know, legitimate playoff foul, nobody complains. The the necktie and the craziness, you know, Eduardo Nahara getting tossed out the game last night for clothesline and Manu Ginobili from behind. I mean, though that's mm-hmm. when you cross the line. I appreciate what what Coach Vitella was talking about. I appreciate though that era of basketball. Mm-hmm. But I was glad to see it get cleaned up because mm-hmm. I think the artistry that that's a part of the game. That's you know integral to the game of basketball. Need not be uh, kicked aside so we can watch. You know, and I don't want to disparage any of uh, the bad boys, anybody else. But mm-hmm. you know, I didn't. Need, I don't need to see Rick Mahorn and Bill Lambeer body slamming right. uh, Scotty tipping, or whoever to, yeah. for me to enjoy the game. I want to see good, intense basketball. And let me and let me bring up something very interesting you that I was going back and forth with people about on Twitter last night. If you noticed, after. The licks got passed in that Dallas uh, San Antonio game. The basketball got better, mm-hmm. you know, and and that's when you know you've told that line properly and you haven't crossed it. Now, when it gets completely out of control, is when you get into that stuff, and then the game is shot after that. And it's like it's hard to finish watching the game when it gets too out of control.
3: You know, and you know those those plays, you know, like a, a flagrant or you know, an, whatever they are they're always like shots of adrenaline for the crowd and maybe shots of adrenaline for for the fan watching it on television but as as you've said and as we've seen with these playoffs you can have you know intense series without a bunch of shenanigans you know I mean I I don't think that there aren't too many of these series that have lacked energy and you have lacked that playoff atmosphere and we haven't really seen you know a, a bunch of plays where they go over the line of, of no acceptable physicality you know no, I mean? the rules
2: don't allow it anymore Vince and uh and I think there's too much you know there's too much at stake Absolutely. you know nowadays for an ejection or for throwing a punch I mean financially there is too much at stake for that and in addition the game doesn't need it this isn't this no. isn't hockey you know yeah. it's not hockey you don't need football. you don't need unish behavior to uh to make a point in this right. league, I think you know the the basketball the quality of basketball speaks for itself. Yeah, from the young from the youngest of the guys in the, in the playoffs to the you know to the fifteen and sixteen year vets still doing it, you don't need it.
3: You know, they're yeah, very true. I mean, you know, everyone loves physicality. Everyone, it's a grown man's game. But I've always been more interested, more taken. By the grace of the game and by the fluidity of the game, and again, you know the playoffs aren't lacking it. Well, I I, I do want to ask you before getting out of here, you know, you you have a very you have a series now uh, up there um, in Milwaukee. Uh, every every series is a series now. Even the Boston Miami game uh, M- Miami series is a is a quote unquote series. What did you think about Dwayne Wade's forty six?
2: It's it's stunning that we went this long, you, you know, know um, and hadn't even talked about. His performance or or LeBron's showcase
3: performance against the Bulls. I mean LeBron does that too much, man. <laughs> yawn yawn. Yon. You yeah, he spoiled uh, you already. I fell asleep on that one. But you know, Dwayne there was a there was an interesting stat. Say like Dwayne Wayne was averaging I, I think about twenty three points for the first in the first uh, first quarter and third quarters. And then, in the second and fourth quarters, he was only averaging about six points for the series, so the bulk of his points were were coming in the the beginning of each half. and you know we all know how the end of the the first half and especially the fourth quarter, how important those are to winning those are to winning games and d way just wasn't showing up like you know we would have all expected and and liked him to, and then he turned in that incredible fourth quarter performance where he, you know, was looking at his hand because he just hit three, three trays in a row. That sort of woke everybody up and it reintroduced us to somebody that we hadn't seen in a while.
2: Well, I mean, we've, we've all known that he's capable of those sorts of performances. The sad thing is that's probably Don't one of say the last times, Don't no, say it.
3: Don't say it. No,
2: no, no, no. I'm saying it's probably one of the last times we'll see him do it this season because oh, okay. they are on the doorstep of, uh, of Kenny Smith's fishing boat I mean they, they yeah. headed for the they headed for summer break I'm not even getting into the yeah what you're thinking about no we, that's that that's we're saving that for a podcast down the road believe me we'll we'll spend a lot of time talking about free agency but no it I, I thought it was a, a magnificent performance and it came at obviously the, the the right time for the for the heat to make that series last at least another couple of days uh it's too bad that Miami, you know, if you think about it, Miami went into the playoffs playing as well as a lot of other teams in the league in terms of wins and losses, but somebody brought up a good point. They didn't play quality teams down the stretch and I think that hurt them once they got in the playoffs. But, you know, listen, Vince, if we had 3 hours to do this every
3: week, we we could fill it. I hate that we we got to cut it short. Before be we back. hold on say, before we cut it short real quick, real quick. Fa- real favorite commercial? My favorite, because shout out to Jared Wade. My favorite commercial of all time was that Converse commercial with all the guys, Bird, you know, Magic, Isaiah, Mark Aguirre. I'm just really interested. Briefly, real quick, what's your favorite uh, NBA commercial of all time?
2: No, I mean, that's easy. Uh, Magic and Bird playing in French League. Oh, okay. No okay. I got you. I got get you. Get Nice one. I'm,
3: a, I'm old school, though. Nice
2: one. But, but listen, we. I hate that we got to get out of here. I got to actually get to the arena. Yeah. Um, for this uh, game four of the Hawks Bucks, next week we'll be back. Yeah. You know, and uh, we, we might hit give, him with a tip
3: in. We might hit him we with might a tip, hit in. tip
2: in in between. You know now and then, but yeah. we got to give big shouts out to Jared Wade of both teams played hard dot net. Yeah, um, and also the Czar himself, Mike Fertello, joining us. TNT analyst, one of the best in the business, coming on the Hang I'm Time. Coming podcast. for that
3: telestrator coach.
2: Anybody. The, you know, and I've been getting a ton of feedback, Vince. I'm sure you have too. We need to get to some of these emails that we've been getting on, yeah, on the, the next podcast as well. Maybe Absolutely. we'll do that on tip ins. Um, but we appreciate you joining us, everybody. Please hit us up on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure you let us know what you think and how you feel about what's going on. Uh, the Hang Time Podcast on on Twitter. You can also get Vince uh, at uh, Vince C.A. Thomas on Twitter and myself Seku Smith 01. All of, you can find everybody you need on Twitter. The Hang Time Podcast doing it big as always. Oh, yeah. Playoff conversations with the best of the best. Seku Smith, Vince Thomas, we appreciate you joining us.
3: Yeah, stay warm, baby. Yeah, I'm trying. <laughs>